John, I'm Paul, I'm George, and I play the drums. From Pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network, it's Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette and Chachi's co-host, Beatles instructor at Suffolk University, David Galan. Well, hello, everybody. It's me. I am Chachi LaPrette, your host of Get Back to the Beatles. I also host the radio show, New England's Breakfast with the Beatles, heard in three states, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Maine. I also would introduce our co-host for our program. He's the Beatle professor at Suffolk University in Boston, our dear friend, David Gallant. Hello, David. Hello, Chachi. How are you today? I'm very, very excited uh, and because today is a very special day. We have such a special guest. I consider him a dear friend, though we haven't spoken in many years. We have known each other for probably 35, 40 years. And here we are with our very, very special guest, a dear friend. I've known him for so long. We haven't spoken in a long time. He hasn't been across the pond in a while, but he is coming to the Boston area soon. We welcome our friend, Mr. Pete Best. Hello, Pete. Hi, Chachi. Lovely to see you again. Oh, it's so great to see you. And we're here with Beatle Professor David Gallant. And it's great to speak to you. You are coming to the Boston area to the Westford Regency Inn and Conference Center in Westford, Massachusetts, September 30th to October 2nd at the Super Megafest Comic-Con weekend. And you can meet this living legend, Mr. Pete Best, at that event. And we're so happy to have you on the phone with us today. First, Professor, I think we should say to Mr. Best that we send our condolences on the loss of your queen. Any thoughts on the passing of Queen Elizabeth? I know it's all over the news here in the United States, and you're seeing it firsthand there. Any thoughts on the passing of Queen Elizabeth? Yeah, it, it, it was very sudden. She was a wonderful lady, and the amount of respect that the you know the people of Britain and all over the world has shown her at the present moment it's you know it's only what she deserved. But it was the loss of a true monarch. Yes, she is beloved all over the world. Uh, Professor, any thoughts on your end on that? Well, it just so happens, Chachi, uh, several of my students uh, that I've advised, a couple who were in my Beatles class last year, are studying abroad in, in, in England and the UK. And they're trying to get their classes set and start the semester and everything is on hold for the period of mourning. And so they're, they're kind of uh, understanding uh, culture there through, well, their first contact is through the culture of sadness. And so I think then after this period, hopefully they'll be able to enjoy themselves, but understand what that region really felt for the Queen. Yes. Well, I will say, you know, Pete, we met many, many years ago, and I do want to bring this person's name up. He has passed on a while back, and he introduced me to you. We have a photograph we're going to put up, Mr. Yaz, if you want to post that. It's a picture of uh, us, Pete, you and I. And look at that, the Mr. Scott Wheeler, the late, great Scott Wheeler. I don't know if you can see that photo. I can see it, yeah. Uh, great guy, met him many times. Uh, as you turned around and said, I think it was Scott who was responsible for introducing us, wasn't he? He was. He was indeed. Yeah. Um, but he, he was a, a wonderful guy, and I met him many times over on your side, and, of course, many times over here, because we seemed to spend as much time over in Liverpool as what he did back in the hometown. Uh, he did, and he loved you. And look at how I know that our listeners can't see it, but look at 
how young we are back. We had so much ahead of us. I'm glad you time. said we. I'm glad you said we. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you for that photograph, uh, Mr. Yaz, our producer. Now, uh, Professor, before we speak to Pete, where where does Pete best sit in the curriculum of your Beatles class? You've been teaching for over 15 years, and Pete is a big part of your teaching, right? Absolutely integral, Chachi, and I did have the uh, the honor and the privilege, Pete probably wouldn't remember, of meeting him about a decade ago with you when uh, the band was over here performing. I believe it was in Marlborough, Massachusetts, and and I mentioned uh, you you introduced me as teaching a Beatles class, and Pete said, oh, I bet, I bet I don't rate much in the class, so you just skip over me, and I said, that's absolutely not true, and in fact, Pete, right now, we've, the term has just started. And we're about three classes in and we're about to understand, the students will understand, the craze in Liverpool coming out of Skiffle and everything that went on. And you're absolutely in the dead center of it. Everything from a place where the band could rehearse to being such a um, a rare a rare person in that time who had a, a good, their own real drum kit. And I think students don't quite understand. They don't understand what that meant. You know, I try to explain things about, you know, post-war and money and, and how tough things were. I don't know if, um, and that's so important. I don't know if you, if you wanted to just say a little bit about how that came to be, how you had a drum kit and you were, you were looked at as some type of, of God or guru well before the Maharishi <laughs> that you actually had a drum. Do you mind uh, telling us, our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, well, basically what happened was um, the, the quarrymen had played at the Casbah and they played without a drummer. It was John George Paul and Ken Brown. And of course, they split up or broke away from the Casbah after about six weeks. And that left my mother Mona uh, without a band for the Casbah. So Ken Brown came up to me and basically turned down and said, let's form a band, please. So I happened to know a couple of guys called Chaz Newby and Bill Ball, who were great musicians, great guitarists. And they turned around and I mentioned it to them. And they said, yeah, we're interested. Went back to Ken and said, yeah, we've got two. I said, the only problem is now we need a drummer. So he said, well, that's not a problem, please. He said, you're going to be the drummer. So I said, Ken, there's only one problem. And he said, what's that? I said, I do not have any drums, man. <laughs> so he basically started laughing. He said, well, I've seen you playing on pots and pans and, you know, banging your fingers on the table. You've got rhythm, you've got rhythm. So I said, yeah, but it doesn't look good, me sitting on stage behind two guitarists with a saucepan, does it, playing a play of sticks. So uh, I went and saw my mother and my dad and did the usual thing to them. It was like, want to form a band? We need some drums. And they basically turned around and said, yeah, we, we, we can see that, son. We can see that. We, we can see where you're coming from. And uh, they basically turned around and said, but you're not going to have a full drum kit to start with. We're going to start you on a snare drum and a cymbal. And let's see how you progress with that and whether it grabs you and whether you feel comfortable. And if, you know, you feel it's right to migrate to a full drum kit, we'll consider it. Well, as history portrays now, you know, I battered away on the snare drum and the, uh, the cymbal, got myself up to running speed. And, you know, the big day came when I went up to them and turned out and said, Mo, Dad, think I'm ready for a drum kit. <laughs> and I went down to Rushworth and Drapers, which was the big music store in Liverpool at that time. And I spoke to a wonderful drum guru called Mr. Swift. And he turned around and said, yeah, you're starting out. And I'd already noticed there, sky blue, old premier kit sitting in the corner, gleaming. And I'd fallen in love with it. And he turned around and said, I'd recommend that that kit over there 
that sky blue premier oyster, mother of pearl, is what you start on. And, of course, that was manna from heaven, wasn't it? I'd fallen in love with it, and he said, that's the kit to start on. That was the kit we signed up for. And that's basically how my, I migrated into, as you turned around and saying, becoming a drumming guru in Liverpool, they had a drum kit. You know, uh, Pete, this is a fantastic detail that I will share with my students because it makes sense to me, given how people literally may have been in a band and all they were doing was banging on pots and pans or or, or overturned wash tubs or whatever it might be <laughs> coming out of skiffle. But the detail you give, and I know Chachi appreciates this because he's a drummer at heart, that you actually kind of grew onto the drums piecemeal. I'm not a drummer, but I can understand that you you – try to master a little bit and then it's then you're worthy to get the whole kit but i think that's a great detail that you you do it bit by bit just like someone on a guitar learns one chord learns two chords and then they get to master the whole thing so that's that's a little nugget pete this is these are the things that you wouldn't you wouldn't really know how far those go with students these are the things they'll actually remember you know even after the class those types of details um yeah, a few questions later it, on yeah yeah, yeah i don't know whether it works for everyone but it works yeah I'll ask you a few I, questions later on about, about the whole environment of the Casbon Club. So, Chachi, I'll turn it over to you. Well, I will okay. say as a drummer, and I know Pete can relate to this, there's no greater joy <laughs> than coming home from a music store with a brand-new drum kit. It's a, it's a joyful experience. And, oh, it's uh, fantastic, right? It, it, it really is. Now, I do want to mention that it was recently Beatle Week in Liverpool, and Beatle mm-hmm. Week in Liverpool means best fest. And yeah. there were lots of videos going around the in of I saw Pete playing the drums with his band and you had the quarrymen performing, the Mersey Beast, the Prellies, yeah. the Best Fest. What was that like for you after all these years? It continues to happen because people love Pete Best and they all make a pilgrimage over to Best Fest. How was it for you, Pete? Well, it was wonderful because, you know, because of the we hadn't done anything for three years. So this was, you know, our chance to basically, you know, put ourselves back on the fact you know, relaunch ourselves again, you know, let people know the best fest is, you know, operating again because, it, you know, we had to cancel for three years on the trot. And the response was absolutely fantastic. We could have sold out about five times, but everyone was there, you know, just basically turned around and said, the magic is still there. You know, it's the Casbah, the music. It takes you back to the days of the 60s, which is what best fest is all about. And the response and the, you know, feedback we've had from the chat has been absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. So as I talk to you now, Rogue and I are, you know, in the, the midst of setting up the uh, the headline acts and the bill for next next year, you know, 2023. Yeah. Well, good for you. Isn't it amazing, Pete, nowadays? You don't have to travel anymore to do interviews. You don't have to travel to even perform. Social media, you can send it around the world in moments. It's pretty amazing, right? It's incredible. Incredible, <laughs> yeah. It certainly is. Now, I do want to also mention, you know, this is the unsung hero of our story. And I mention this whenever we talk. Your mom, without uh, Mona, uh, there probably wouldn't be the Beatles as we know them. She she was way ahead of her time. She was a free spirit. I seem to recall the story where she would bet at the horses, make a few bucks, and she bought the Casbah. Is that story correct? Yes, very much so. She was a, you know, a little bit of Irish blood in her, like we all have. So she liked the GGs. But <laughs> this particular day, she'd seen Heyman's, which was this wonderful detached house, which, you know, later the Casbah, the cellars emanated from that. 
And she fell in love with it. But my father, basically, when she went up and turned around and said, let's buy the house, John. He turned around and said, no, it's a big white elephant. Well, I'm not interested, so we're not moving. I'm quite happy here. So what she did, and, you know, we didn't find out until the race was over. She went and pulled all her jewellery, and she bet it on a horse called Never Say Die, which was running in, I think it was the 54 Derby, 1954 Derby. And it was being, the jockey was a young apprentice jockey called Lester Pickett, who went on to worldwide fame after that. And we were watching it. The odds were 33 to 1. It was a rank outsider. And we were watching it. And of course, as Never Say Die got closer to the finishing post, she got more and more animated. She got more and more excited. And then when Never Say Die went past and it was proclaimed the winner, she jumped up like a Red Indian, did a war dance around the kitchen and turned around and said, I want my house. I want my house. I want my house. To which we all looked at one another and sort of turned around and said, what the hell is she talking about? So she then turned around and said, I didn't turn around and tell you, but I pawned all my jewellery and I bet it on that horse. And the fact that it's won, I can now buy Haman's ring. And that's how we got the house. How did she manage to pick a winning horse and, and to sell all her jewellery and put it on that one Horse, was it luck or did she research it? Did she look at <laughs> selling the jewelry was easy. Okay, that was the easy side of it. <laughs> I suppose when we asked her what made her pick, she basically turned around and said, I like the name, never say die. And of course, ever since then, that's become the family slogan. You know, our, our motto is basically never say die, but em- emanated from Mo picking that horse. You know, and it was never say die, and that was more spirit. It was like, never say die, I'm going to win this house, regardless of what happens. So she won simply because she liked the name of the horse. Wow. God bless Mona Best. Professor. You can say that again. (laughs) You know, it's fascinating. So, uh, Pete, I guess I'm curious. Your mom won enough off of the race, not just for the house, but was there any extra so your dad still couldn't say no? No, she'd won the money, enough money. Um, she became the first, if my memory serves me correct, she became the first woman in England to actually acquire a mortgage because it was unknown for women in those days to get mortgages. But she did it. And, uh, you know, we eventually moved in. But dad took very much a back seat on that one. You know, it was very much the case. I won the house. You know, it's my house. It's in my name. But, you know, I'll let you come along. So that was, that, was, that was the attitude, you know. We're going to take a minute right now to tell you about another podcast that you should definitely check out. It's called Past Tens, a top 10 time machine. That's right, Chachi. Tens, as in T-E-N-S. Your host, David Yaz, and the chartmeister, Michael Miltwolf, travel back in time to revisit the top 10 hits on the Billboard charts on a given day in the past. Sometimes the songs hold up nicely, other times they make you cringe, and that's when comedy and chaos ensue on Past Tens. You know, David, I think the best episode was when they went back to 1964 because the list was packed with Beatles songs and also... Because those bozos, Milt and Dave, respectively, had the good sense to have us on that episode to school them on all things Beatles. I agree, Chachi. That was a fantastic episode. Probably their best. But also check out the episode where I filled in for Milt. 
It spared the audience the usual allotment of milk fart jokes. You'll have to listen to it to what other types of bodily function jokes are put in. I had no idea that you were a guest host. I feel offended and betrayed, but I have to admit, for a couple of knuckleheads, these guys put on a fantastic show. It's past tens to a top ten time machine. Find it anywhere you get your podcast or visit timemachinepod.com. That's timemachinepod.com. Was your dad, did he have a similar attitude when she wanted to do things like, because I, I think it became some, was it a lot of people who opened up basement clubs? It all seemed rather unregulated to me or that people wanted to make money that way or when she wanted to get into either um, small time music management or entertainment management. Was your dad along with that and this became the family business or a part of it? Well, dad was supposed, you know, just in a path. Uh, Dad was very supportive of anything Mo did. If she turned around and said, you know, I'd like to try this, I want to do that, Dad would turn around and say, fine. You know, it was like, go for it, girl. You know, let's see what you can do. Because he knew, you know, he knew the determination and he knew the drive that Mona had. Dad was also very preoccupied because he was a boxing promoter. We had the Liverpool Stadium in Liverpool. And, of course, a lot of his time was, you know, taking up with promoting boxing matches. And a lot of his time was spent down there. So what spare time was available after that, he supported Mo and whatever endeavors they, you know, she wanted to get up to. Wow. And, you know, Pete, refresh my memory here. I seem to recall there was like a decade or so where Liverpool really didn't want anything to do with the Beatles. I mean, the Cavern Club was was knocked down. You and your family kept the Casbah as is to this day. But there was a time frame there in Liverpool where they didn't want to know about the Beatles. Am I correct? Yeah, it was. I mean, I suppose you could turn down and put it to council. Now, you know, the rest of the world was capitalizing on what the Beatles were and what they'd become and the icons in the music industry. Liverpool was very slow to pick up on that. And it was only years afterwards that people suddenly realized, you know, because of the... I suppose you should turn around and say the growth in the tourism industry, that they suddenly realised what a valuable commodity the Beatles were, you know, as regards the tourist industry and an attraction to Liverpool. So, yeah, you're, you're right. For a certain amount of time, you know, Beatles in Liverpool didn't mean an awful lot apart, to, apart from the locals. But once, you know, the the council and the government got behind it, then it was a different platform, different platform altogether. And and uh, I tell you, a couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine was in Liverpool, a, a one-day tour, Paul Barrett, and he told me he went to the Casbah, had, was given a private tour by Rory, mm-hmm. and he was blown away. The, the, the place is as it originally was. You didn't change it. You didn't knock it down. You didn't update it. You kept it as is. And good for you and the family for doing that because now it's a major tourist attraction, right? Yeah, the, the whole beauty of the Casbah is, I mean, fine, you can knock it down and rebuild it like they did with the cavern, but you lose all the atmosphere, you lose the history, you lose the charisma, you lose the, the vibe. You know, when we decided that we were going to take the Casbah and, you know, raise it from the ashes again, you know, for the sake of moment, we realised that, you know, the substance was basically the Casbah itself, the originality of it, the fact that the Beatles had helped decorate it, you know, the... The ceilings are still there. The Aztec ceiling that John painted, 
The rainbow seal and the pearl painted, the orange seal and the George painted, the spiders whereby did, the stars we painted on the ceiling. It goes on and it goes on and it goes on. But that is the actual charisma of the Beatles and of the Casbah. And I and I will add congratulations to you and Rogue and the family for the the Casbah Hotel and Suites, the the Beatles Museum that you that Rogue and you built. So congratulations to you and the family. I think it's a great thing what you're doing, and you know your mom and your dad would be so proud of your family and you're you're the head of the family you have grandchildren very talented grandchildren and you're you're a great uh, you're very proud of your family i'm very proud always been a proud family man you know love my wife and been married to now for 59 years god willing we'll see 60 next year so uh, and when the grandchildren came along you know i idolized them i spoiled them i still do now they're big enough to look after me (laughs) <laughs> so it's a little bit of payback. So uh, proud of what they've done, proud of what Rogue's done, proud of what we've achieved in Liverpool. So, yeah, you know, the best family holds its head up high. We always did, but we hold it higher now. Well, God bless you, Professor. You know, it's been a long time since I was uh, fortunate enough to to be in Liverpool and be, the, the renovations that Pete's talk, uh, that Pete is talking about and also the uh, museum because my dream, Pete, is to take a, a group of students there. When I was there, really was pretty, you know, the, the, the memorabilia museum was all centered just at Albert Dock, but to be able to start there and then go beyond and do things on the buses and, and on the feet so they can actually walk in the footsteps would be, would be fantastic. And so I'm glad that there's been a lot of newer spots on the, uh, on the Beatle trail really. And, and because it says a lot about not just the music, but the history of the city and, and how important it was, you know, after the war and everything. So all of these things sound absolutely fantastic. But if now, you ever get that chance and you bring the students over, please let us know in advance. Cause, uh, you know, we'd like to be part of that. We'd like to, you know, make them welcome to the Casbah, make them welcome, see, you know, feel the history for itself and then go to the museum and see, you know, history from pre-Beatle days to post-Beatle days. Yeah, my, my, my hope with that, it could end up where they would host us and you could run a seminar with me at Liverpool Hope University, right? <laughs> well, let's wait and see what happens. Let's take one step at a time, Dave. One step yeah, at a time. one step at a time. Well, you know, we're really honored to have a Beatle on our show. We always love that. But, you know, Pete, there's a lot in the rearview mirror for both of us. And we're not as young as we used to be. And, you know, I know that you're doing a No Boundaries tour. And you're going to Wexford. And you're, and you're telling people there's no questions off limits. Is that because yeah. there's so much in the rearview mirror now that you're willing to talk about <laughs> No, it's it, it's basically, I mean, I do a lot of audience with, I've got a couple of shows coming up next week before I go to, you know, out to Massachusetts at the, you know, the Westwood Regency Inn. So it's something, you know, question and answer is a big part of that particular show. You know, it's very personal for the people. So I don't put any restrictions on it. You know, why the hell have a question and answer session, you know, where you want the people to get involved, develop their theories, conspiracy theories, their ideas. You may have had that question asked a million times, but for that person who asked it, it's so personable to them at that present moment in time. So it's a no boundaries one. It's like, I don't send down and say, you can't talk about this. You can't talk about that. You mustn't talk about this. It's fine. It's question and answer time. The floor is yours. Go for it. And it's as simple as that. 
Uh, you're so kind to do that for your fans. It truly is, right, Professor? Absolutely. Chachi, I don't know. Is is Pete sort of implying that the floor is ours right now? Pretty <laughs> very well. While. Pretty short while because we're running out of sound, guys. We've got about another <laughs> 10 minutes. <laughs> okay, okay. We'll keep it short for you. We Whatever uh, our guest says goes. But since there's no boundaries, I mean, let's go back to Germany, the Reaper bomb. Okay. You, when when you and Paul lit a condom on fire, you guys were deported. <laughs> when when George threw up on the floor and it stayed there for a number of days. You're uh, talking about the thing. The thing. <laughs> the thing. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> or, or when, uh, if this is correct, you can confirm that you guys were all sleeping in that room while George lost his virginity. Yes, we can put our hands up to that. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's good having a rearview mirror, isn't it? It's good having a rearview mirror. Uh, Chachi, yeah. I, will, I will often tell my students that the, the Beatles' time in Hamburg is where the phrase or the concept or the reality, sex, drugs, and rock and roll was actually invented because there was probably a healthy dose of all three, right, Pete? Yeah, I think that's an understatement, actually. <laughs> but yes, it's, yes, you know, let's let's turn around and say it was there, it was free, and we enjoyed ourselves. Okay. <laughs> wow, that is fantastic. And you know, let's go back to the Deca sessions, January first, nineteen sixty-two. You traveled by rains, a snowstorm, the and Neil drove you guys, and it was New Year's Day, and Mike Smith was late because he was partying the night before. <laughs> and uh, and I seem to recall in your book, first of all, I don't know if you can see behind me, we have Pete's book, his CD, the best of the Beatles album, and I have a picture disc right there of you guys, and you autographed the vinyl picture disc. And there's a story in your book where Brian criticized John about his singing and playing on that day. And John, you know, laid into Brian about that. Is that true? Yeah, very much so. You've got to remember that, you know, this was the biggest audition we've had. Biggest record company in England at that time, Decca. It was January the 1st. We were hungover from the night before because Brian Epstein had turned down and said they got a major record audition the following morning. Please do not go and get drunk in Trafalgar Square. And, of course, what do we do? Half past two in the morning. We're drunk as skunks in the middle of Trafalgar Square, aren't we? Right? <laughs> so, hungover, we turned up at the at the audition because we were a little bit jaded. It took us a while to swing into things. You know, some people have turned around and said, when you look back on that particular audition tape, which you can get now, you know, it seems to be common commodity you can tell there's a little bit of trepidation and you know a few bum notes and a few sneaky chords getting slipped here and there we put that down to you know angst if as we turn down and put it but at the end of the session brian basically turned around to john and sort of went i'm not too happy with what went on with you john you know you should have had more control of it to which john just basically turned around and said listen he said i do the singing i do the playing i'm the one auditioning you're the manager you just manage. And until then, say no more. And that um, was John's way of turning around and saying, mind your own business. We're the band. You manage us. We'll play. Oh, my word. Okay, Mr. Professor Gallant, we're running out of time. Are there any final questions? We don't want to keep Pete Best too long on this. <laughs> mostly, it, mostly just 
mostly just thanks. He's given me several nuggets. And when in just probably a short week from now, we'll we'll talk about that January 1st audition. And in within the anthology series, there's a picture of people reveling if we if we want to say in Trafalgar Square. And I could say, well, if you look closely and you squint, you'll see our friend Pete there, maybe indulging too much uh, at the base of uh, Lord Nelson's statue. Hey, 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 it wasn't just me. Don't blame me. Don't blame me. <laughs> well, you're the one I've spoken to most recently. Lord Nelson doesn't return my calls. <laughs> and and I will also add, Pete, I am a big fan of the Heyman's Green album. I play it on my show. Broken is a fantastic track. Every song on this record is good, and I love the album cover. You know, you did that for a reason. It was pulled off the anthology cover, and you, and it was a perfect cover. And I think it should have been a Grammy-nominated album. You, you should have won. It truly is. I'm telling everyone who's listening, Heyman's we Green. Were, we were nominated, but unfortunately, we got nominated in all categories, but we got pep on each particular one. But the fact that we'd been nominated was a good one. Yeah, that that is great. And it's a fantastic record. The songs are so good, and so many... It's taken those songs are taken from your life. The lyrics, especially especially broken. I I love that song. I I wonder if there's any more green vinyl left because I should have bought it while it was available. I know that Vogue was selling the green vinyl, but I heartily recommend. I highly recommend Heyman's Green. It's such a great record. So congratulations on that, Pete. Thank you. Thank you. Now the drumming is superb. The drumming is superb on that album. Thank you. Thank you. It is. Now, before we go, Pete, we do want to say, listen, we love you. I've I've admired you for so many years. You've been so generous and kind with me personally, and Rogue is such a great guy. You are coming to the Boston area. I'll be there to say hello, and hopefully uh, a lot of our listeners will. I think you'll have a huge turnout. It's called the Super Mega Fest Comic Con Weekend, September 30th to October 2nd, Westford, Massachusetts, Pete Best will be there. Rogue will be there signing autographs, saying hello. And we're looking forward to that. You haven't been to the States in a while, right, Pete? No, I think oh, possibly five or six years. Yeah, it's quite some time. May even be longer. You know, time flies. Time flies. Yeah. It sure does. It sure does. So on behalf of Get Back to the Beatles and all of our listeners on Breakfast with the Beatles, we thank you for joining us. We had a Beatle on our broadcast, Professor pretty amazing right absolutely it's quite an honor it is it is an honor pete so thank you for joining us today we love you we love rogue good luck with everything you're doing we'll see you in the boston area in westford mass from september 30th to october 2nd thank you pete churchy thank you and i'm looking forward to meeting up again you know you and dave and you know let's hope the time goes quickly till then till then until then god bless you pete we love you my friend Cheers. Okay, take care. Cheers. Cheers, Dave. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. So, Professor, what did you think of that? Amazing. We had a Beatle. Incredible. Incredible. And I, I, I love the nuggets about building the kit piece by piece and the mastery of it piece by piece. And I, I'm sure it's written somewhere, but getting loaded at uh, in Trafalgar Square uh, the night before the uh, is a nice little tasty bit. Just everything with Mona going to the racetrack oh, and winning and buying a house. Yeah, and that, that was fantastic. We, uh, we really enjoyed having Pete. He's such a great guy. Many great stories there. And so I do want to tell you, everybody, before we go, 
We are doing many events in October, celebrating John Lennon's birthday. Go to our website, breakfastwiththebeatleschachi.com. October 2nd, we'll be in East Greenwich, Rhode Island for a day in his life, a celebration of John Lennon's birthday. I'm on stage with Eric Taros, Beatles film archivist. Monday night, October 3rd at the City Winery, Boston. We are doing Come Together, a night of magic, mystery, and history of John Lennon. Professor, you came to our last one. Hopefully, you'll make it to this one. If any, if anyone out there is uh, is is uh, even slightly curious, I strongly suggest that they go. I'm curious as well. But the last one was uh, a little bit more uh, all Beatles. This one being focused on John, I can't wait to see how it's tweaked for that evening. Yes, and it's with a good friend an acclaimed magician, John Logan. He's amazing when he does his Beatle tricks, Beatles-inspired magic. And then October 9th, Sunday afternoon, 5 p.m., we're at the Regent Theater for A Day in His Life, a celebration of John Lennon's birthday with Eric Taros and myself. And then October 15th, Sunday, in Danbury, Connecticut, for that same show, A Day in His Life, a John Lennon birthday celebration. So, Mr. David Yeah. We, he is the, the head honcho, the, the spiritual guider of the Boston Podcast Network, of which produces our program. And you can have your own podcast. You call David Yaz, that's Y-A-S. And if you want to have a podcast, he will tell you how to do it. He has studios, and he's a great man. Mr. Yaz, you're very you, kind. Thank you, sir. And you got your spell my name right. Most people go with the Y-A-Z. It is, in fact, Y-A-S. <laughs> Well, I will tell you, under your little uh, frame here, it's spelt out for me. Oh, well, t- so, <laughs> so you cheated. Okay. Great, great, great show today, guys, though, by the way. What, yeah. what, what a thrill. I've been telling, I mean, I didn't even talk to him, but I've been telling everybody all day that I'm going to be on a call with Pete Best. Is this <laughs> the really biggest great. name you've had on the Boston Podcast Network with all your different podcasts? I think that's, I think that's fair to say. I did have a... Uh, I didn't have Chris Evans, Captain America, but I had his mom on the show. That was pretty big. <laughs> so. Chachi, I think I think once uh, David and his and his partner Milt there had uh, the the lead singer of the Motels. We did. Uh, we once. had Martha Davis. Yeah. We, we had yes, Martha Davis. Martha Davis. So I think Pete yeah. might be just a bit of a cut above. What I'm glad though for our um, spiritual podcasting guru, uh, Mister Yaz uh, Chachi. I'm glad that he likes to play around with it every once in a while. I'm glad he got to hear a legitimate, real Liverpudlian accent. You know. <laughs> yes. No, I, I <laughs> it was it was rich. And when Rogue came on too, just the resonance of it. You know, it, it you have those. The, the River Mersey was just flow over the airwaves here, right? It was just uh, beautiful and rich to hear that. That's for sure. Yeah. He's, he's, still, <laughs> he's still really sharp as a tack, though. I, I enjoyed it. I mean, and, and the recall on those stories is fantastic. Total recall. Yeah. And, you know, he, he wasn't born yesterday. He's in his 80s. I think he's 80 right now. And, yep. you know, he, and look at Paul still on the road. Ringo's on the road. And Pete Best is, is sharp as a tack, as you said. Mm-hmm. And, it was so nice to talk to him, and we go back many, many years. And what a uh, what a great day today! So thank you, Professor Beetle, Beetle Professor David Gallant, Suffolk University, teaching his students. And thank you, Mr. David Yaz from Pod Six One Seven dot com, the Boston Podcast Network. And on behalf of all of us on Get Back to the Beatles and Breakfast with the Beatles, we thank you for listening. And if you go to the Boston Podcast Network website, there's all different kinds of podcasts, very exciting podcasts, in addition to mine. Would you say our podcast is the most successful, David? Yes. Yes. Although I, you probably bet I say that to all the girls. But uh, I was about to say but, that. Yes. <laughs> but yes. but uh, how could I have more fun than this? Come on.
we appreciate it professor any last words well, you know, Chachi, it was it was great, and it's this podcast will definitely be a uh, a listening assignment. My students encounter many texts in class, both what they're reading, what they listen to. So I I told them that I'd be interviewing uh, Pete, and we're going to actually be talking about his era in the Beatles starting on Tuesday. I did want to mention Chachi for anyone listening in when you mentioned your upcoming show. I really hope people also go to see the audiences because every place. From City Winery to the region, I've not been to uh, Danbury. I think years ago I may have been to the Odium in Rhode Island. The venues you 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 do these shows in are also part of the attraction. Yeah, so I think that people would really enjoy actually just being in those spaces. You know, in addition to the shows themselves. So really, really encourage our our listeners to go to some of these places. Yeah, you know, and you you you're amongst fellow Beatle fans. It's a fantastic community, and wasn't it amazing, Professor, on Monday night? What were there? Six people that oh, were at the Boston Garden 50 years before, 58 years before to the night when the Beatles yep. played the Boston Garden September 12th. Pretty cool, right? They were they, uh, your friend there. I forget her name now. She was down front and she's showing the uh, the ticket stubs and everyone had some memorabilia there from that evening. So it was it was really great. Yeah, that was fun. Okay, everybody, thank you for listening to Get Back to the Beatles on the Boston Podcast Network. On behalf of Beatle Professor David Gallant from Suffolk University, Mr. David Yez, the spiritual guide on the Boston Podcast Network, and myself, Chachi Lopret. Tune into Breakfast with the Beatles every weekend on WUMB in Boston and Seacoast Oldies in New Hampshire and Maine. Have a great Beatle day. Peace and love, everybody, and we'll see you next time on Get Back to the Beatles. Make sure to check for the latest episode of Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette at pod617.com. The Boston Podcast Network.